coming to you pre-recorded from a cramped closet in Las Vegas, Nevada and a New York City apartment far too close to the street. It's your favorite millennials with too much time on their hands. <laughs> Welcome to the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Yeah, right. Ed- editing Teach, cut the cut the spooky intro. We're we're just gonna go into this. Hi, it's the Red Team Reviews Podcast. Oh Jesus. Okay. Ah. <laughs> uh... <laughs> Why do we always have to start with your feelings about something? Because we did this for me. When do we do it for you? We did this for me because you're the one who doesn't like horror movies. And I'm like, not that I do. Okay, no, to be fair, we did this for both of us because, uh, well, okay, for me to talk about is for us to get into it. So, yes, hi, my name is TJ Patrick. This is my voice. And I am joined by, I guess... They're, yeah, don't you dare! Yeah, don't no, you dare make me any which, of the white people in these movies. <laughs> which, whichever way I go doesn't work. So uh, I could be Rel, maybe. <laughs> I, just, I genuinely was like, "Wow, there's no good way to spin this." No, no. It's only uh, if uh, you could be Chris and I could be Rel or something like that. God damn it. Uh, this is my friend and partner and co-host, <laughs> uh, Trevor Catalano, <laughs> survivor, uh, fellow survivor of a theater that will uh, not be named, but will probably come up a little bit later. I mean, that's that's um, a spooky. That's the spookiness right there. Spookiness. Is that that <laughs> that experience? God damn it! Uh, so we are talking about. Not Candyman. I think we should go into this saying we're not talking about Candyman. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you um, could you could say that these we are talking about Jordan Peele's writer director projects because there's only been two so far. He's got the other one, Nope, coming out next year um, with uh, you know Daniel Kaluuya is coming back, um, and so like he's got another one in, in the works. But Candyman is like he wrote he wrote the reboot, he didn't direct it, and so it's like all right, we can it. we can we can easily uh, partition that off and be like that's not the kind of horror movie we're interested in, let alone interested in it at all. Because this is the first time we're ever going to talk about something that is truly in the horror genre for October. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> do we want to do we want to just talk about like history with <laughs> horror in general? Because I don't None. think we give off I don't think we give off the vibe of of people who enjoy <laughs> that that genre. Um, I don't know if you could tell by the Star Wars references we make. All the I don't know if time. you could tell by the everything about me. <laughs> but I think I mean I think it'd be interesting to take a few seconds to just talk about like. Like what doesn't appeal to you about this genre? That way, it's, it 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 sets up context for when you inevitably hate everything. Um, so, so you want me to go first? Yes. So, uh, very simply, I have no history with the horror genre. Um, it's not something I grew up with. It's not something I ever had an interest in. Uh, as we mentioned briefly last year, I think on the uh, Nightmare Before Christmas episode. Uh, slash the Buffy the Vampire Slayer episode, if you want to check that out. Um, 
I did mention that there was a possibility that we were going to do at some point some horror things, some very select horror things. But uh, I mentioned that, like, I am 1,000% not a horror guy. And so I guess the expounding on that, whoops, the expounding on that comes here because it has to. So a lot of people don't like horror because, oh, it's too scary. A lot of people don't like horror because they can't take it seriously as a genre. It's like, oh, that's not art type of thing. I am just very much not a horror person in that it just doesn't do anything for me. Like... It's just unpleasant. It's not... Like, because for some things, like, if you tell me I'm going to watch a horror movie, jump scares no longer work because I'm expecting them the entire time. Yeah. And I watch movies generally for a few reasons that will become clear as to why, oh, that's kind of what, yeah, I wouldn't expect horror to work for you then. I watch movies to escape. I watch movies to feel catharsis. Or I watch movies to admire the craft. So two of those are very quickly eradicated by the just the premise of horror as a genre. Which ones? The to escape and to feel catharsis. And when I say catharsis, I mean like positive positive yes, okay cool i was gonna say like <laughs> like i think that's half the reason people like uh horror movies and spicy food is because it it gives you endorphins i mean yeah true as somebody who's watched many episodes of hot ones yeah uh, the... and endorphins <laughs> endorphins make make you happy and happy people just don't kill their husbands all right uh <laughs> was that um uh was that gone girl no oh damn that's yeah, something. No. I, I, I'm not I'm not going to tell you what it is because you should fucking know what movie this oh, is. Oh no. Oh it's blank. Oh I'm blanking on it. You um, are you are in in you know, you're on you're you're on the shit list for not knowing that. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm gonna be on the shit list at the end of this episode no matter what I do. So I think so. Um, well here's the thing, like I definitely <laughs> to jump a little bit I definitely, like, encourage this to be the first foray because at least, like, there's something to sink your teeth into. Like, this is not, this is not psych, this is not Bates, you know, or, like, Psycho 4, where it's just like, ah, we took the same actor and made seven sequels across the 70s. Like, this is, like, thought-out horror. So there's, like, there's at least something to sink your teeth into analytically. Before... Yeah, before we actually talk about the movies, I did want to note one thing you mentioned beforehand, which is that, like, well, we are watching, we're doing this episode for both of us because while you're interested in, you know, just tackling something in the genre just to, you know, to actually be pretty well-rounded and talk about something in the genre, probably, um, I... Also, at one point, because Lovecraft Country doesn't quite count, so I no. wanted to talk about something that was Jordan Peele, because Jordan Peele is very relevant and important for the community in terms of like really finally, um, he whenever Jordan when Jordan Peele started making horror movies, it was kind of this unspoken feeling of like, see, see, we can do like. Other things <laughs> like we don't have to always be the sassy best friend or like the person that dies first in a horror movie, ironically, 
Or, like, we don't have to just keep playing the same types of characters or doing the same types of things over and over again. We can really do things that have been predominantly white for so long and have our own unique twist on it. That's why we should be able to do it. Because we have inherently different things that we want to say and portray when we do the exact same genres or conventions Mm -hmm. that other people do again predominantly white people do it's why so many people are like you know what does it matter the gender or sex of a director the color of a director it's like because we offer different viewpoints and perspectives and we genuinely like if you give like if you give fucking goodfellas to a woman it will turn out differently yeah then how if and I'm kind of piggybacking off of a quote that like Denzel Washington had of like, you know, it's not about color, it's about culture. And it's kind of the same thing no matter what you're dealing with. It's like having, you know, having queer people behind the scenes or notably in the movie or something like that, having people from all walks of life just offers like just different shades and tones. And so that's why. I'm even though I did not want to do genre, uh, horror, I was always like, well, I need to at least do Jordan Peele because Jordan Peele is very significant for that kind of reason. Yeah, exactly. And we're we're going to talk about this. Pr- it's going to come up when we talk about us. But um, Jordan Peele got some conservative hot water, which is, you know, lukewarm water um, <laughs> about his statement. He's like, yeah, no, I'm not going to cast a white lead. Um, in my films that I, you know, that I write and direct. Um, even though, he, you know, we did The Twilight Zone. Obviously, that's a different thing. Um, but people were like, the roles were reversed. And he's, his response is like, yeah, the roles are reversed. Like, so I can, <laughs> I can, I can create, I can create the same, like, magnum opus horror thing that has nothing to do with race relations, even though my, my even though his initial his initial uh, foray that got him an Oscar for best original screenplay um, was heavily, heavily based in race. Um, He can go and then do us, which only has some racial overtones with a black family cast. And it doesn't have to be anything more than just, yeah, these are the characters. This is who it is. And it's going to change the way things come out. And they are going to speak in a way that is, how black people would feel in that situation, but that doesn't make, that doesn't mean that that is all that this is centered around. And that's something that I, that I like about, about him. And so just to give my quick like thing about horror movies is that like, yeah, I've never liked gore. I'm not interested. It just grosses me out. And so like, that's, I was averse to horror movies for most of my life. And it wasn't until I started, it wasn't really until I was kind of roped into seeing Get Out. I don't think I would have seen it of my own volition and then really liked it. And then on top of that, the journalists did a little like case study in horror that I started like doing research and finding like, okay, cool. What are the actual horror movies that like stick out as like social commentary? And like, how do we use horror? Like, do we use horror to get out some sort of some sort of inner desire. And that's what a lot of like people theorize about uh, uh, theorize about like the two thousands and how we had all these saw movies. It was like kind of taking a look at our own, 
around like sadism. There's talks about like it reinforces social mores where you talk about like the tropes of like, oh, ever, like uh, anybody who has sex dies. It's like, OK, cool. That's reinforcing some traditional values through these movies. Like there's a lot of there's a lot to say about horror and why we do it. And that's the kind of thing that like interests me. And that's why I think Jordan Peele is the perfect jumping in point about this, because like I have no interest in doing Saw on this podcast. But like there's a world in which we can talk about The Invisible Man, the reboot with Elizabeth Moss, because that's like a really good uh, like it really definitely took a obscure story and recontextualize it for the experience of women in toxic relationships and like just the various reasons women don't want to be alone in the dark um, on a on a quiet street and those kinds of fears and and reinforces them. And I think that we're seeing more in today's world uh, like horror for positive social commentary on like essentially creating a fictionalized way of talking about a real problem more than in the eighties when it was all about mm, reinforce the status quo. Like that's, that's the flip that I've seen. And so that's the kind of like reason that I wanted to talk about this stuff. So let's, uh, stay woke. Um, get out. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Yeah. We'll talk about them in chronological order. So like just oh, I think I think we can just say right off the bat like of the two of these this is the one that very much has a clear cut everything if you know if you know what's going on through most of it everything is super obvious and laid out and I think that's the point I think it I think he yeah. kind of has to beat he has to beat white audiences over the head to make them like listen to every little line that's spoken Oh well, oh so you're talking about thematically Yes Okay what are you what are you um, talking about? So I will be very upfront about this. Uh I'm not a hundred percent sure if I was inadvertently covertly spoiled. Yeah. I wouldn't be surprised with the notoriety it got and the amount of time that's passed since it come, came out. If so, well, because I've never really sought out anything that like it's very easy for me to go into some like I'll the easiest example is us. Like all I knew from us was really the trailer. I never really mm-hmm. sought anything out about us and never really participated in any conversations or videos that even kind of like lightly touched on us in terms of like actual plot or spoiler. But the trailer kind of gives you a lot. Like the yeah. trailer kind of gives you the premise and some for people out, or us uh for us okay like it gives you the enough of the premise to kind of go like okay i understand there's doppelgangers um, okay so it's a it's a thing of like sometimes this is kind of the blessing slash curse of studying film a lot and studying structure a lot and like just being used to movies. It's kind of like when you're around a person for a while and you start picking up on their mannerisms and you notice patterns and mm-hmm. how they talk and like how you can kind of get in front of like, oh, their mood is shifting a little bit or how, you know, typically, you know, uh, they like this, so I'll get this for them to surprise them. Oh, hey, how'd you know? Well, because I've been around you so much. I just kind of know how you are now. Um, it's kind of like that for film. So I'm wondering, I'm like, was this genuinely spoiled for me? Or 
is it really just that I kind good of at just predicting? Yeah, have I just been like around film and structure so much that I'm just like, I'm kind of looking around at the metaphorical audience, kind of going, "Is anyone else? Does that, does nobody know where we're going? Because I, I'm like thirty minutes in. I know where we're going. Well, I think it's <laughs> I think it's actually worth saying because because when we talk about us, obviously us is the more like woo of the two. Um, and so I did some reading. I read about it afterwards, and that's not something I dislike in a movie. I don't mind doing reading about a movie afterwards if I enjoy the movie. Um, and so, like, I will say that from what I've been reading, it's like Jordan Peele definitely follows structure. And he uses it to, in my opinion, uh, you know, he uses it to, to good ends, um, even if it does make something a little bit more predictable. I had the same thought. I'll, I'll say this when we talk about Us, but I had the same thought about Us where I was kind of like, huh, I, I think I spoiled it for myself. I think the ending was spoiled for me, but it did feel like I could have gotten there on my own. And so, like, yeah. yes, I'm going to mirror your sentiment where it's like, mm, yeah, I, I think I could get there on, on my own. Like, the so phasing back to get out, like, yes, the breadcrumbs are very, it's not breadcrumbs. He's, he's throwing, like, potato rolls down to lead you to the inevitable conclusion because we know from the get-go that it's going to be a racialized situation that's going to present some danger. We just don't know what danger it is because the premise wouldn't be the premise. And it's obviously a horror movie was marketed that way. We know that shit's going to go down when he goes to his white girlfriend's parents' house. We just don't know what it's going to be yet. Um, Do you want to take this plot and then I'll take the plot of us? Yeah, sure. Fine. But I hope you don't mind because the plot is so straightforward. It really could be summed up in like a sentence or two. No, I agree. So yeah. There's char- there's a black guy named Chris who's dating a white girl named Rose. He goes up to see her parents, uh, and then he is hypnotized, and turns out they like to kidnap black people, specifically... Well, yeah, no, I was going to say specifically, but no, they like to kidnap black people, and uh, basically white people then use them, using hypnotists and surgery, to as vessels to basically do whatever the fuck they want. Um, And they specifically want Chris this time and uh, the guy that literally bids on him in auction wants him because he's blind. He's become blind and he wants his eyes. Uh, Meanwhile, Chris has a comic relief, funny TSA agent friend uh, who is very, very jokingly paranoid at first and then sincerely paranoid later uh, who eventually rescues him. That is that is the whole story of Get Out. Okay. And I think that's actually genuinely the quickest synopsis we've ever done. Yeah, probably. I mean, yeah, there's not, there's just a lot of like small details in the ways of how you piece the puzzle together and uh, the various different like small turns um, because, yeah, like we were talking about, it's a very easy three-act structure. The entire first act is them making their way up to the house and microaggressions happening left and right with a police officer. And you start to believe that Rose is on his side, but she definitely seems like overly white woke. And he's kind of like, yeah, just you don't have to do all this shit. Um, the dad says things like, I would have voted for Obama a third time. The brother's a little bit weird. The brother, like, calls him, like, says, like, ah, oh, if you were an MMA fighter, you'd be a beast, like, essentially... Um, you know, 
turning him into an animal. Uh, and just it's just thing after thing after thing after thing. And you obviously know it's like this is not a safe place for them. And then at the end of the first act, you start to see these bizarrely behaving black. They even called them servants, which was I was like, cool. Yeah, that's a red flag. Um, the black uh, members of their household who who do the the housework and the yard work. Um, and then at the end of the first act, he gets hypnotized by the mom who is essentially, who is clearly the one holding everyone's leash for all the crazy, um, and goes into the thematic sunken place. Um, and then the second act is more revealing, more other people, you find, you find out what they really want him for. And then the third act happens when his girlfriend turns out to be a part of the plot the entire time, which predictable, but, and then it's, and then it's the, the slasher for the rest of the film. Um, and so like, yeah, it's plotted out pretty, pretty exactly. So I, I have like little things Mm -hmm. along the way, but like, I don't, I don't really know what notes you're coming into this with. So I don't know really how to proceed. I think honestly, so much has been made about the themes of get out that I will largely kind of just like be just like, all right, we all get it. And I'll kind of like skim over that part and I'll talk more specifically about like, the craft and like structure and how shots are composed and like, you know, things like that. So right off the bat, we're playing uh, with the idea of like, we start off the, the film where Lakeith Stanford is walking through a suburb. He shouldn't, you know, he quote unquote, doesn't know where he's at. Um, and there's, I think there's a, in, there's a theory that he's on the phone with Rose um, and she told him to go to one street when he was supposed to go to a different street and they had the same name. And he's walking through this hedged suburb and he gets kidnapped by, I think what is presumably her brother um, in like a white Mustang. And right off the bat, we're playing with the themes that like suburbs are built for white people's interests because he's already standing there. Like, this is creepy. I don't feel comfortable here. And it's like, well, yeah, it actually wasn't, it wasn't built for that purpose, which makes total sense. And in, so the car pulls up behind him and we're playing with the, the, very prominent notions in today's world that he's basically trapped. If he runs, this person can give some sort of, ah, why was he running? And if he stays, he's very clearly in danger. Um, And I think it's worth, like, from my perspective, noting that, like, yeah, everyone, I I get this all the time from, from people whenever I go back to, like, where my parents are. And this is not my parents' feelings about this, but, like, when I went back home during the pandemic and everyone in South Carolina was, like, oh, New York is so scary right now. And it's always scary, right? And I was like, no, it's really not scary. It's really, there's really, I don't ever really feel like I'm in danger. And given I walk around with a giant suit of armor that is my male whiteness. But like, even then, most of the people I know do not feel scared in New York. It is not, it is not the the environment that everyone assumes it to be. Meanwhile, like if I was in the middle of the night, completely lost in a a suburb full of like high hedges where no one can see me if I am in trouble and no one can hear me because their houses are so far removed from the street. That's actually more dangerous. And those people don't give a fuck about what happens to the outside world. And that's why they bought that damn property. Um, that's why they wanted it so offset from the street because they don't want to be disturbed by whatever potential things could be happening outside of their, outside of their home. And so sorry, that's, that's one of the things that just really, like, really resonated with me. I was like, yeah, no, fuck those suburbs. Fuck that environment. Like that, that is so much more. So to me, that is so much a better, a better uh, environment for, for horror and suspense than any sort of street danger. So let me paint a picture for you. 
Uh, and by you, I, as usual, kind of more so mean, like, you the general audience, not specifically Trevor. Um, so, we've established, I don't like horror movies. I don't really care about horror movies. They're just, they're just not my thing. I, however, am willing to give Jordan Peele horror movies a chance, but I'm still not enthused about it. Like, I'm still, I'm not, I don't love it. And on top of that, there also is a recurring thing of a lot of times if I'm not genuinely, like, itching to watch a movie, sometimes getting my attention span to focus enough to get me to sit down and watch a two-hour movie beginning to end can sometimes be a little annoyingly, like, lot. Like, for, for someone who loves talking about movies as much as I do... It's really weird and annoying that sometimes I literally have to force myself to watch movies sometimes because my attention span is just, uh. But, so I've, oh, also, I have yet to talk about this. I watched both of these movies very differently than I watch regular movies because I knew they were horror movies. And I thought, just so you know that my terrible ideas don't just affect you, Like, I often also, like, if I have a good idea, even if I hate it, I will still do it to myself. Uh, So I'm in my closet right now, as our intro suggests. Uh, I'm in a cramped closet. And usually I watch our stuff for the show on my actual TV in my room on, like, my bed or something. But for these, I went in this cramped closet, turned off the lights... And watched what the fuck? on my, like, very small, <laughs> small TV, uh, like, in a very intimate setting with headphones on. Like, I legitimately, I'm like, if no, if I'm going to do horror movies, I'm going to do horror movies. Um, so to just paint the picture of this situation... I need you to know that the scariest, most terrifying, most awful part of Get Out is legitimately the first five minutes. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, I think that's on purpose. <laughs> Literally, I think the rest of it can be chopped up to a little like sci-fi horror. That one's very real. <laughs> so, so little notes about the first act, like. Just little things that maybe I didn't catch the first time when the dad is talking about the deer and he says the they're taking over. They're like rats. And then add that to all the white people at the party saying things like, well, you know, it's easier to be a black person in America. And now you're the desired one. And yada, yada, yada. which is like I, I appreciate that dialogue in this movie, like adding to the tension because it's like, yeah, no, that's fucking real. White people say that shit. Yep. White people say that shit to each other about race relations. Yep. And because they because that's how they interpret media. Um, it's very obvious that the grandfather, after he's talking about his grandfather losing to Jesse Owens, that somebody's going to have some feelings about that. <laughs> I was like, mm, yeah, no, who, ha- Chris, how the fuck is that not obvious to you? Even if it is obvious to you, that should be enough to leave. Um, seal up the black mold, you know, uh, they go out of their, they go out of their way to mention stuff that's race related. And I almost feel like they're taunting him a little bit. Like, did you ever get that feeling that like, like literally they are increasing his anxiety to a point where they can then, they can then like act upon it. I don't. Does that feel like a a valid interpretation? I don't know whether or not they're doing it intentionally or maliciously, but I do know for a fact that like, 
they there is so much of a like because there's the term your the mask is slipping. They don't have masks yeah. on. Like, <laughs> it's yeah. so just that's true. And I think that there's definitely a part of them that probably believes because of what they are doing, because they are putting white people into black bodies, that there's probably a part of them that believes in some sort of like flipped fascination. This that was my first like to like walk away from this movie is that just like white people are we're we're kind of obsessed with black people. We are whether you realize it or not, like there's a degree in every white person in the way we're socialized. We're obsessed with black people, whether it's whether it's fear, whether it's hate, whether it's uh, idol like idolization or trying to be too like too strong of an ally and coming on too strong. Like there is a there's a part of white people that just like obsesses over race because it's how we've been socialized. And that was a big thing that that came out of this for me is that like there's a plausibility where without the actual like turn of it being a horror movie, that this is a realistic situation, that this is a, a you know, a, a, a series of beliefs and statements that could easily come out of any white person's mouth in America, especially if they're wealthy. God, I don't often think about, you know, maybe we should record visuals for the podcast. But the second you said white people are kind of obsessed with black people, got the office Jim Halpert look that I gave <laughs> nobody was just <laughs> fucking priceless. I almost started bursting into laughter. Uh, <laughs> I mean, hey, I, I work in the, I work in theater and, and administratively and started my own company. And yeah, let me tell you, a, a primarily white institution uh, of the American culture that is definitely obsessed with uh, getting black people to increase their own cred is is the theater. Um, so yeah, we're a little obsessed. Um, more than a little. Uh, but in, in tandem with like what you're saying about like the script and the very subtle, like, you know, the, yeah, these are all things I also picked up on. I li- every time something like, I forget who did this. I forget what it's from, but it's like, you know, uh, oh no, I remember now, uh, there's a overly sarcastic productions did a video on, um, Dracula. And they had this gag because they're talking about obviously Van Helsing is in uh, Dracula, the actual original story. And so they're like, let's play a little game. Every time somebody says something that (laughs) makes Van Helsing get all serious and like, hmm, uh, let's actually like visually like change his appearance. Like it's like this gag running visual gag. Like every time they're like, I don't know why. But it seems like she's paler for some reason. Like she's lost a lot of blood, and it was like, duh. <laughs> Every time something like you know, oh yeah, we gotta fix the black mold. I imagine myself just like if I was watching this with Jordan Peele. Just a sting, a sting every single time. A Seinfeld sting every single time they say something that is that is building on the theme. Or just looking at Jordan Peele going, uh-huh. I would literally, like, imagine myself turning to Jordan Peele and him just, like, having the sweating gif of just, like, watching the screen <laughs> and nothing else. I don't think it'd be that. I think it'd be a big-ass smile. I think he'd be sitting there like, yeah, uh-huh. I think he's probably done that. He has probably done that. I also find it funny that we're recording this on October 4th when yesterday was Mean Girls Day. And the first thing I thought of after our obsession conversation was, why are you so obsessed with me? Um... <laughs> Also, we got to find a time to cover that and Legally Blonde, which is the movie you didn't realize I was referencing. 
We got to cover those movies at some point. Too um, nice to kill someone. Well, yeah. Um, I know I've seen Legally Blonde, but it was so long ago that at this point I'm relying more so on clips. You're gonna love it. You're gonna love it. Um, no, I, it holds up. I know because I like the movie is still somewhat fresh, but they're only it's only fresh because of clips. Um, yeah. So the actual connective tissue of the movie is what's lost, but. Uh, so anyway, back to back to yeah. this. So um, basically, all theme, all themes aside, all themes aside, the the teeth that mom that the mom gets out about the smoking is really uncalled for. Also, wait, hold on. I can't believe in the middle of our talk on Jordan Peele, Get Out, and Us, we somehow managed to have a detour to talk about legally fucking blonde. I can't Shut believe up. this. <laughs> um, but. I was going to say in tandem with uh, what you were saying about like the specific, the specificity of certain dialogue uh, moments and lines and kind of deliveries and things like that. Just. This is kind of a real, this is a really good, this is the, one of the first few times I've literally said that's great direction because, because the amount of, little tiny reactions that people have on their faces coupled with perfect cinematography catching them coupled with perfect editing cuts to time them accurately is like everything about this hinges on like you need a really good director to actually balance Mm -hmm. all of these plates and, like, the editor did a good job, the cinematographer did a good job, the actors obviously did a good job, but really, the ringleader is Jordan Peele. And yep. that's, like, one of those things where it's, like, when everything comes together like that, it's the sign of, like, you got a good director at the helm here. Um, who genuinely, like, because so many things could come off as a little too on the nose. I even do think some moments still kind of, like, Ah, but then, you know, like you said earlier, you have to, some people need a little bit of that, like, on the headness. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, but there are a well, lot it's of like a, subtle, like, really yeah, subtle moments. Yeah. yeah. Well, it's kind of like the walking out of the theater with a group of friends, everybody noticed a different piece of the puzzle. And so it's one of those movies where you kind of walk away from it, especially if you watch it with friends and you're like, oh, and then she was eating the Fruit Loop separate from the milk because she believes that the color should be separated from the white. And like the things that like people piece together as individuals that, that then culminated in the giant, the giant narratives on these movies. That's, that's uh, to me, that's kind of a fun thing about it. Um, and then also like this, after she turns, she wears the white button down and the white turtleneck. And it's like, yeah, no, it's like, they definitely like heavy handed turned her in the other direction. Um, like, and I don't, it's one of those things where it's like, it's heavy handed, but like a, the genre kind of like loans itself to that and B it fucking works. Like, that's the thing about it is that it fucking works. Um, I really don't have that, like that many other notes other than like, to your point, like the direction, like even the tiniest detail. Cause it, I was watching it on a decently small screen and like, and I had seen it before, but like when Lakeith Stanford's character comes out of the sunken Stanfield, place to tell him to way. get out Stanfield, I keep saying Stan Stanford, right? <laughs> God damn it. I think I programmed that in my mind to say Stanford instead of Stanfield. And then I just never stopped. Um, God, me and me and names this season. I swear. <laughs> 
I did it. I've done it so fucking much between <laughs> Liu Kang and Street Fighter. Like, God, me and names this season. Lakeith Stanfield, <laughs> you can see his eyes lose like a glossiness in the in the editing when he comes out of the sunken place. And I was like, mm, yes, it's shit like that that keeps me coming back and rewatching this movie. Like, yeah. Just and but like this, I couldn't stand. I can't stand the scraping of the teacup. I can't stand it. And that is now if you in the beginning of us, if you noticed his new company that does these movies with for him, um, yep. that's their new symbol and the sound. Yep. And I'm like, mm, fuck you. Um, it would just make me angry if I was in that situation where somebody was trying to hypnotize me with that. I'd just be fucking angry. I'd be like, can you fucking stop? You're not going to fucking stop. Cool. I'm going to walk away. Um, and then the last little thing I have is that just like. Interesting that Jordan Peele decided to include a Japanese guy in the white people's party. I did note that. I did. I was immediately like, that's whoa, a, whoa, an Asian guy. <laughs> that's a little, that's a little. And I know it's intentional to like probably stoke people's thought processes of like anti-blackness among Asian people, which exists. But then it's like, okay, but in the world we're living in, is it really a something to be said about stoking like, like well, but my, the, one of my you know. first thoughts was like, one of my first thoughts was like, did they, did they experiment with Asian people and then decide Ooh, to do black? I had people? never thought about that. I had never thought about that because I'm like, there's no, like, there's no way, <laughs> there's no way they're just cool with this. There has to be a story behind this in some way, shape, or form. <laughs> I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, and also, like, given the age, I'm like, that would kind of track that, like, they've been doing it for so long that, like, one of the first ones would be kind of older. Mm. But no, but th- there's the implication that the first one is grandpa in the football player's body from high school. Like, and that I think there's an implication that, like, they do it over like long periods of time, like they're not knocking them out one one right after the other or else they'd get caught. So like, I think it's clearly like one was a high school boyfriend then there was a college girlfriend and now this is the adult boyfriend. Um, And so it's like, huh? The thing about Jordan Peele though, is that he like, he definitely, he said this about us. It's like, he has a whole backstory of this organization and about the with the chrysalis project, I think is what they said. Um, the same way he has a backstory on the tethered. Um, he just doesn't add them to the movies because he does. The, he he is a good writer and knows what to leave in and what to keep out. Um, well, let's let's before we start saying all sorts of things like that. <laughs> uh, let's, um, but that's so. really it for me. Like those are the the <laughs> new things that I noticed this time around. If you're somebody who had just watched the movie and wants to like excitedly engage with every last small little detail, that this is probably not the episode for you because like a we don't really have time, and b it's been rehashed a lot. So like you can get most of that on the rest of the internet. Hmm. So, uh, uh, <laughs> is it time for, is it time for the negative notes? No, no. Because like, uh, unlike other movies that we talked about, it's not like I fucking hated this movie. I just have very c- critical notes. Um, yeah. so it's like, that's what the show is. I, I did not walk in here as much as I want you to love a movie that you've never seen before, because let's be real, TJ, most of the movies you love on this podcast are with stuff that you've seen before. 
Um, Except maybe I also Luka. I also need um, to point out most of the movies I've literally lost my entire shit over is also movies we've already yeah, seen. Yeah, I know, before. I know, I know. You have a you have a habit of just wanting to talk about movies you've seen before. So I wanted to bring you to some new things. And so as much as I know I want you to like like these movies, I knew we were gonna come in and you were gonna have a critical eye, and I'm okay with this. So go on. Well, thank you for giving me your permission. Um, but <laughs> not, not that you wanted it at, in the first place. Uh, I already mentioned the camera work. Uh, <laughs> my next note, I was very bad with notes for both of these movies. So I may, there may be a thing that will come up that I may have just forgotten to take notes on. I will say that up front. But my next note is like, he just had to get a smoke, huh? This is why black folk get yeah. killed first in horror movies. <laughs> you just had to leave the sketchy mansion. You had to. It's like one of his. I don't know about. It's it. like one of his two like flaws, and they're so minor in in the grand scheme of things. Like, I don't know about anybody else, but if I'm like wigged the fuck out being in a strange person's house, I'm not gonna get up in the middle of the night and start walking around the house like no <laughs> fuck off <laughs> which connects to another point i had a little bit later of like chris really is the kind of best slash worst protagonist for a horror movie because he keep he definitely keeps that plot going um <laughs> he definitely keeps the plot going by doing shit that very few people probably actually would do but also, it kind of leads to a couple of times of like, Chris, 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 buddy, what is your thought process? <laughs> um, then I know I skipped a lot because I basically have no notes for the entire like actual. We're, party. we're skipping around, but like people, if anybody who hasn't seen this movie or has just watched this movie, you you can understand the plot. So skipping around, I don't think is a problem here. Yeah, I just know, like, the next note I have is, like, I think, like, half an hour later. So I'm like, I know I skipped, yeah, like, an uh. hour or two. But um, I Chris says something along the lines of, like, you know, uh, he says to Rose when they have their big heart-to-heart uh, off, like, when they go for a walk. and he's Yeah, like, to, um, on the shore. When the, he's, he says something along the lines of, like, you know, you're all I got now. And I'm like, you've been dating for five months. Yeah, that's fair. I, you saying I love you in this scene is probably the first time you've said it. Again, I think I think there's a whole. You're not wrong about like in general. I think there's an assumption we can make that that not only do they pick people for certain reasons because I think they pick him because he's a smoker. It's an excuse to hypnotize him because hypnotism and smoking are very like connected pop culture wise. And so like, yeah, I think she goes after smokers. I think she goes after people who are naturally isolated and don't have a lot of friends. Like I think, I think them profiling him is a huge part of that. I think she definitely like, she probably dates a bunch of black guys. And then just, if somebody has, if somebody has too resilient of a past, then she dumps them. And then she, Probably and then she probably goes on to find another guy who's like, mm, he has a thing with his mother and he smokes. Okay, we can work with this. Like, I think that's a factor. But then again, I've seen this movie like three times, so like I can think about it on that level. Meh. Um, I just thought it was like, I was looking at Chris, like specifically, I'm just like, <laughs> Chris, you have friends. Like, you're not like some, <laughs> like you're not like some loner who's like 
clinging to his girlfriend like you're all I have. Like no, yeah. no, you have well, a especially pretty because, decent like, life. <laughs> he knows Dre, like he, uh, like he's Stanfield's character. Like he's like I know him, and then yeah. Ray confirms. It's like yeah, that's Dre. Yeah. Which is very weird for me because my brother's name is Dre. <laughs> <laughs> but, like, uh, but um, yeah, another note about, like, this guy had so many opportunities and so many signs. Um, I will say this is something that I didn't love from a writing perspective. Uh, this will lead into kind of a bigger take on Get Out. But for now, I will just say, so the big plot twist evidence was just like there and an open part of the room where the door is just open and there's like not it's like literally in the open right there i don't i i I'll be right i don't love that um and then right after that after chris has looked at the pictures seen that clearly even if Rose still has nothing to do with this, she has definitely lied to him. Though. Yeah, and then there's like, compl- and if, even then, there's complacency. Like right after this, he is so consistently like, "Hey Rose, come on, let's go." Hey Rose, where are the keys? Come on, Rose, let's go. And she's like, oh, "I'm looking," and it's like, "Okay, no." <laughs> and I'm like. One of two things is happening. Either you are a dumb son of a bitch and you still somehow with photos cannot tell that Rose is in on it or you do know, but you still just want her to be on your side. Well, I mean, or, no one is if she's not, so... Or at the very least, you want her to give you the keys as, like, one last thing she does for you. But, like, this is the most important last thing. So, like, really, any way you look at it, I'm like, Chris, why why are you... Chris. <laughs> Again, I think it's that moment where I think that entire sequence is, is building tension because it's like he knows that cage is locked. Like when he discovers that she is no longer on his side and she is taking forever to to get the keys. Like he knows, he knows he doesn't want to know because he doesn't want it to be true. And then click. My issue is that we basically get two reveals in the span of like five minutes. That's fair. Which again, it's like, I don't love that. Um, The other thing is that one really simple fix for some for a lot of my notes and yeah okay so this kind of goes into my next note so my big overall take on get out is essentially like if this was if this had a little bit more mystery i think i would like it more but okay i think that's fair it's very clear and it's very obvious and because of that they do factually take a while to like actually get going with like doing some shit about it. But then because it's so obvious to me, it feels even longer for them to actually get going on some shit. Like if, if 
like, okay, yeah, the the friend's name is Dre, right? Yep. Okay. So if or Dre no, is, Ray, Ray, Ray is Ray. the TSA agent. So if Ray is already naturally skeptical, it weirds me out how long it takes him to genuinely start snooping and being suspicious about it. Because, like, for me, some things can just be solved by... If you just, like, almost like on an editing timeline... Can you tell I'm an editor? Almost on, like, an editing timeline, if you just scoot up Ray's revelation so that it coincides with this moment of Chris realizing he's fucked, that works better. If you can cut in between... But instead you have have Rel, the, the actor Rel playing Ray doing the whole, like, thing with the FBI and them laughing at him. And I'm like, okay, yeah, this is obviously a much-needed, like, tension release, but... I mean, I was more so... Like, if you, like, intercut Chris finding the photos with, like, Ray kind of, like, going, something doesn't feel right. And then Chris trying to leave, begging, asking, demanding Rose for the keys with Ray slowly putting things together on the computer, like, searching for Lakeith's character. Like, that, I think, genuinely builds suspense better because then it doesn't really matter if you know it or not. Then the editing has now taken over and it's like, that's a natural way to start to build suspense if you cut back and forth between two things versus if you're just lingering on a single scene and you already know what's going on and what's what's happening some of that just might not work. And you're basically hinging all of this on audience engagement, which is not always a great thing to do. Cause sometimes, I mean, audiences are, are unpredictable. Like no audience is guaranteed to pay attention to your movie. No audience is guaranteed to be that invested on it. And some people may figure out that the Butler did it on page 10 of your book. Like, I sorry. Like, sometimes that's just what happens. Um, and so, like, yeah. Also, let's talk about that fucking... All the shit with Ray real quick. Okay. Because this is definitely a thing that's going to come back up. Okay. I appreciate Jordan Peele as a comedian. I appreciate that he wanted to inject some humor into these horror movies. But sometimes the way are you talking which, about? He's a little much. You're talking about how he's a little bit of a stereotype. No, I'm not even no. that. But I'm just like I'm just like sometimes the comedy comes at specific points where I'm like, bro, I am not here to laugh right now. Like, can you just <laughs> okay? Because right. this is at a point in the movie where like. I'm waiting for shit to pop off. I'm waiting you're, for like you're just kind of like. <laughs> I'm not even. I'm not even laughing. Like I, full transparency. There are a lot of points in both of these movies where I start doing the little skip forward thing because right. some things do get a little dragged out, and sometimes I'm like, I know where you're going. I ju- I'm ready. I'm here for it. I'm with you. I want to go here too, but you want to take the long way around here. <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah. there's a lot of catharsis on the other side of here, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there's gold in them there hills. It's like, I need to go to the bathroom. Don't take the scenic route. 
actually, can I tell a joke real quick oh, on, the, on the note of telling jokes at the wrong place? The fact that you thought of this unrelated. joke right after I referenced going to the bathroom worries me. <laughs> it worries me, Trevor. <laughs> uh, boy, uh, I when you said there's a lot of catharsis over there, I said there's gold in them, their hills. And so I want someone to make a uh, series about a non-binary Southerner who finds oil in their in their backyard. And it says and the title is there's gold in them, their hills. As in, like, their pronouns. <laughs> Everyone else I told it to laughed at it, so whatever. Um, I actually think I might option this. I think it's a good idea. Um, I think you I have think a better it, shot a very, with uh, them, they are a coming. Maybe, I don't know. Um, anyway, back to the movie. No, but to your to your point, yeah, there there is a thing that he... There's a thing that he does write himself into a corner about, which is more so prevalent in us than this. But it's like that beginning of the third act exposition dump that he does. And it's not even in the beginning of the third act in us where he explain where he does the, the video that Chris watches about the chrysalis thing. And then in us, it's red explaining the the tethered and. Those are the ah, so you want to know my entire backstory. That's actually not what I so anyway. That's yeah, so that's uh those are the those are the low points. And it's one of those things where it's like, I don't really know how you'd get that all out without like the only other way to do it is if Chris found the video himself in the second act. But then again, you can't really do some of the stuff he did. In that the third goes back act. to my note. Yeah, exactly. That goes back to my thing of like if this were more like a mystery, it would help. But yeah, I mean and I'm not going to sit here and say it's like damning or anything like that. It, it, the movie still holds up, but it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, okay, it's a weak part of the movie because you chose to do it this way as opposed to another way. You chose to expose it in this one big chunk instead of giving us a little bit more along the way. But I think the choice was uh, like the choice was then balancing all the other like tension points, all the other pressure points of the dialogue and the small microaggressions and the events of the, of the film that build up that pressure. And then we just have a, and, and then the reveal happens, the entire family's in on it. And then it's definitely like, cool, we're going to stay on this plateau a little bit while they explain everything. And then we're going to have our falling action. Um, and that's just, I think, symptomatic of the way he chose to do it. Yeah, it feel, it's very much the vibe of, uh, we've recorded the Scooby-Doo episode at this point. Uh, in Alien and uh, Alien yeah. Invaders, where they have them caught, they're done. You've succeeded, and then Mark Hamill goes. So here's how we did it for like five minutes, and I'm like, I I guess there was no better way to do this, maybe, but I'm sure there also was definitely a better way for you to do this. <laughs> um, so. There was a lot of fast forwarding this part. There was a lot because like, well, it's just it's it's the violence and the tension in him getting out of it from here on out. It's like, do I want the catharsis? Yes. But also, do I want to work for it? No. <laughs> there's also there's also a little bit like I feel like some things could have been set up a little earlier, even if they're a little hackneyed and a little kind of on the nose, some things could have been set up earlier so that some some things are just more cathartic. Because that's what this ending is. The ending is cathartic. Yeah, I, that's what I think, we need. I think one of the smartest, like, small little moves is, it's one of my favorite parts of the film, is when, like, 
uh, is Ro- Rose is dying. She's been shot by the freed, uh, you know, freed ex-boyfriend grandpa. Um, that's a sentence. Um, <laughs> and, and, but she's still alive and they're both like fighting over the gun and he's like choking her. And then there's sirens in the background and she gets a grin on her face because she's like, cool, you're fucked. No one will ever believe that this is a situation that you will get out of. You will be taken away by the police. You'll be blamed for everything. So even if I lose, I still win. And then the car is a TSA car with Ray in it. And that is one of the best like payoff moments of success. And you're rooting for this character than that I that I can think of off the top of my head. It's like, yes, you think it's going to go and it's going to ruin him. And the end of it is just going to be him going to jail or it's just going to end right there. And then you get. Oh, great. Thank God. Trevor, I want you to stick a pin in that, okay? All right. <laughs> God. <laughs> this podcast is just us fighting. Uh, I mean, we did set that up in the first episode. I did go back and watch the uh, listen to the first episode again recently. <laughs> um. <laughs> But, uh, yeah, but that is, uh, I will loop back around to that probably, but, like, that is a good moment. That moment of, like, uh, oh, fuck, and then, oh, thank God. Yeah. Like, it's a very good, it's a, that's a very good decision. It's a very good decision. And I can just imagine, like, it's reading. A very I can just Im- good decision. I can just imagine reading that script and, like, being like, oh, shit, oh, shit, and then you read that. Ray steps out of the car and you're like, ah, yes. Like it, it works in every format because it's just good. So setup. like, so like the opposite of the rec- the footage of the game of Thrones cast reading. Yes. For the first time. <laughs> of the final episode. <laughs> Sick burn. Um, <laughs> it's still cool to hate on game of Thrones season eight in 2021. Right. I don't know. Um, so game of Thrones. Yeah. Game of Thrones had, what is essentially the avatar effect where it's like you fucked it up so bad that everyone stopped talking about it. Go on. Which avatar? Uh, sorry, the, the, the bad one, the one that only is called by. Avatar. Okay. Okay. <laughs> if I was ca- talking about the last uh, airbender, I would have said the last airbender. But then if you say the last shut up, airbender, shut up, I move on to your point. Um, so basically, yeah, what I was getting to was that, um, because Chris takes out the brother, seemingly, with... God, what the fuck? Is that like a bocce ball or something? Yeah, bocce shit? ball. I don't know what... Okay. Wow, that was a guess. But they um, say they say play bocce earlier in the film. And then he takes out the dad with the deer head. Mm-hmm. And then he takes out the mom with... What, a knife? Letter opener. Letter opener. Which, like, ooh, when it went through his hand, I was like, mm, that's the kind of shit I don't like. And it's like, if these things were more set up earlier, they would be better. You you're, you want more cathartic moments of each person being taken out by something that is their own hubris. Yeah, and that's why I said, like, it may be hackneyed, it may be a bit on the nose, but we're talking about catharsis here. Yeah. Like, I, I, I need it. Um, and then the brother coming back felt I need a little it. cheap. It felt like... And say it with me now, because we're definitely going to talk about this. Uh, Parasite! It felt like Parasite. 
Um, okay. Spoiler alert for Parasite, because I I know that we're talking about Get Out. There's no reason for like you I mean, to you think we're going to talk about Parasite. You could say that Parasite was our first horror movie. If you talk about the end, um, I would. Yeah, I would say more like suspense. Yeah, but you know, in the same vein, definitely. Um, so basically, my main thing is that. The comedy comes at very not great times, and the ending is just too long. It's too dragged out. Like, basically, my dream version of Get Out is establishing maybe a few more uh, of Chris's friends. And maybe one of those friends is said, you know, person that dated um, Lakeith Stanfield's character. Yeah. Uh, and then once Ray unravels the mystery, they collectively go up to the house. They track him down. Because it's also weird that, because usually when you house it for someone and you say, hey, I'm going to this place, and it's a place they don't know, you give them the address. So it's like, the fact that he does have to track them down and he didn't give them address is kind of weird. But... I, here's um, the thing, though. I think what you're asking in your perfect world is not quite a horror movie. In the same way where it's like horror movies tend to have if either they tend to either start with a group and stay with a group or have a protagonist. But like, here's the thing, because if you you said um, uh, the last part basically becomes a slasher movie. Yeah, that's what I want. I see. Yeah, OK. <laughs> Uh, I basically want Act 3 of Get Out to be straight up, we've gone from a politically driven, like, you know, uh, thematically heavy setup of a horror movie to now Act 3 is just, let's fucking get these fools and let's not die. So <laughs> Those two things of like, yeah, let's kill them and let's not die. <laughs> so essentially you want uh, the brother to be beaten in an MMA match. And the dad is killed by a by a hanging Chad Obama. with Obama's name on it. Um, <laughs> or you know what have actually would have actually been cathartic. I, well, I think it is slightly cathartic because he talks about the deer, and he's killed by a deer head. That is the most. Yeah, that's the closest one. Yeah, that's the one that's most on the nose. Um, yeah. Or like, although it kills the dad, and I'm like, that has nothing to do with the dad. <laughs> um. Maybe if it killed the mom. Yeah, that that makes sense. Because she's the one who po- but, poked the bear with the the mother thing. Such malpractice. Yeah. Such malpractice in the way she approaches that question. Um, yeah. Be- there's a lot of beware. there's a lot of shit going on. <laughs> All right. I feel like us is going to be easier to talk, both easier and harder to talk about because it's not because it's so full, more much more flexible as to like what you want it to be about, and there's so much more mystery. So, do you have anything else on Get Out before we talk about us? Uh, I, the one last thing I was going to say was that I think also if a group of black people save a black person from a group of white people trying to harm him, that kind of goes better with some themes. I guess, yeah. Maybe not themes for this movie specifically, but in general, in terms of like, you know. Also, here's the thing. I was there was basically because this is gonna come this is gonna be relevant for us. Basically, both of these movies have a twist waiting in the wings. Yeah. And get out, I was like, it would actually be cool 
if you did this one specific twist. How you do it, I don't know. But if you did do this twist, that genuinely would be interesting. And with us, I was like, please, for the love of God, don't do this twist. Yeah, mm-hmm. I get Very that. Very opposite ends. I get that. Uh, for Get Out, the twist was, it would actually be kind of interesting if Rose didn't know. Yeah, but then that's that not a twist. Have, that's that's just what they set up. No, it like if basically Rose had also been hypnotized. Oh, I see. Then that would, yeah, that would have been a twist that I would have been like, all right, let's see where you go with this movie. <laughs> but I think, no, I actually think that goes contrary to the theme. I think, I think to I have mean, her, because then that creates kind of like a white savior situation. I think it would just go from a kind of very kind of surface level, like binary theme to a much more complex theme of like how sometimes so white women are like bewitched by white culture or something like that like mm. no and just in the sense of like sometimes in america for minority for minority people to get anywhere with anything they do kind of sometimes sometimes need somebody in the majority to just leave the door open to open the door for them so they can finally finally just get to the point where they can do what they need to do Mm. um so that would have been an interesting twist then if like the Rose realizes that she's been complicit in all this. And while the black people do most of the work, she is also the one that is like, I'm going to make sure that this stays dead now that you've killed. I mean, again, kind of thing. white savior stuff. I also think that a stronger topic to be revealed is white women's. Like, the idea that white women are, quote-unquote, helpless in their perpetuation of racism when they're not. Um, Like, I think, like, interesting concept, yes, but very, very different movie if you do it that way. Right, which is basically, you know, along with the whole group of black people coming in to bum rush the white folk, Django Unchained style. Yeah, that is a thing. Again, yeah, different movie. Um So let's talk about let's talk about us. So us is probably the one that more people haven't seen. So I might do a little bit more detail in this summer, which is interesting. Once we will become interesting once we talk about it. So us is based around uh, we start in flashback with Addie Adelaide, who's played uh, later as an adult by Lupita Nyong'o. And she has parents. We never truly see their faces, but one of them is uh, Yaya Abdul-Mateen. And I love when he does cameos. He is. A, I, I love that actor. I hated him in Aquaman because I hated Aquaman. Um, that was just a bad script. But everything else I've seen him do between Watchmen and like all the other things that he's done. He's just I love that actor. And so to see him even never see his face and see until the like kind of in the end um, to see him do that role. I was like, mm, yes, great choice. She, he becomes he takes a character that could have just been kind of thrown to the side and makes it like mm, this is important. Um, they're at a carnival on a beach, um, like one of those like standard beach town, um, you know, standing boardwalk places. Um, and her parents are fighting. They're not, you know, they're not good, quote unquote, good parent, good parents. I don't know how else to describe this without taking more time to say it. Um, she ends up in a hall of mirrors, um, and she sees, she runs into what she presumes is her reflection. Uh, turns out it is a doppelganger of her. We see her eyes widen and then we cut to the future. She's married to Winston Duke's character, Gabe, and they have two children, Zora and Jason. Um, and they are going back to the 
lake house or beach house, like the, the coastal vacation home that they always go to, I guess, every summer. And they have friends out there that are just their friends out there. Um, and on top of that, like, it's very clear that Addie has a lot of like baggage with this town and a lot of reluctance for being there. And they're just, you know, trying to have a good time as a family. They're standard family dynamics of the younger brother being, um, you know, more of the high energy and innocent one and the older sister being the teenager. Um, and so they essentially just one night, they're doppelgangers, exact copies of them in red jumpsuits with uh, very sharp scissors or shears show up in the driveway all holding hands. And they are immediately threatened by this. Addie is very in tune to like this being a threat. And Winston Duke uh, goes outside, tries to threaten them, and suddenly the family attacks. They end up pinning them in the living room. They kind of give this exposition of like, hey, we are your doubles. We are tethered to you. And I had to marry this man or I had to be with this man and have children with this man because you had children with your man. She tells it in the form of like a fairy tale, like you had a great life and I was the dirty one um, that had to do what you did. And so then you kind of get into the second act where they're chasing them all around and everyone is escaping their doppelgangers. Uh, Winston, uh, Gabe's character ends up uh, like killing his with the boat um, yeah, with the boat engine and things like that, uh, they end up get, escaping. And then, uh, the first minor twist happens where we go to the white family, their friend, their family friends who are kind of just like shitty white people. Um, and it turns out their family also has duplicates and those duplicates immediately do away with that family. There's no competition whatsoever. The black family escapes to the white family's home. They take out their white, the white family's doppelgangers, um, and then they see on the news that, OK, these people are coming out of the woodwork everywhere from these tunnels. That was like a quote that they set up earlier in the earlier in the movie um, at the very beginning with like text um, that there are just random tunnels throughout the U.S. and that people are dying left and right. And so they essentially are trying to run away from this situation as best they can. They end up back at the seaside town in the daytime um, and. Jason, the son, kind of starts to figure out the whole tether situation, and he is able to tether himself back to his doppelganger and has have his doppelganger light himself on fire and, and ends his own doppelganger. But then Jason gets kidnapped by Lupita's double, and that leads Lupita back down the rabbit hole to be very on the nose about the whole rabbit motif um, into the tethered's like bunker um, through the mirror, through the Hall of Mirrors down into this place where she confronts her tethered person. There's a big exposition as to who these people are. You see sequences of the tethered essentially enacting in like a gross zombie way with not with like just facing walls, but doing the same actions that you saw people do above ground because they can't help it. And uh, they have one big final fight that has a lot of inner like intersprinkled versions of themselves when they're younger. Um, and then she finally finds Jason in a closet. Jason is kind of suspicious of Addie and the whole scenario, but they end up going back up, up to the surface world, getting in an ambulance and then starting to drive off into their new lives. And then it's revealed again in flashback that Addie is not the real, the normal human. Addie and Red, her doppelganger, swapped when they were kids. The doppelganger 
took Addie's place and lived her life. And that was what prompted Red to be different than all her other tethered people and for them to all believe in her and mount this massive attack that they planned. Um, that was convoluted when I said it out loud. Um, <laughs> so yeah, that's, that's us. Um, do you want to give any like opening thematic things? I'm going to give you a choice. Okay. We can either talk about the biggest issue I have or go through the movie and then talk about it. Um, it always seems to be better when we don't start with your biggest issue. Okay. So <laughs> let's go with the movie. Let's go with the movie. Um, I had not seen this one. This is not one I had seen. So we're, but we both came into this fresh. Um, I had a lot of, a lot of notes are very much like, oh, hell no notes, like your standard first reaction to a horror movie. So I have like when the the reflections unmoving, I was like, ah, hell no. Um, and so like, yeah, just little things. Uh, I, it was interesting for me because the only other thing I've seen Winston Duke in is Black Panther to see him do that kind of nerd voice. Like to me, it felt like Winston Duke was impersonating Jordan Peele. I don't know if you felt His that voice is odd. At first I, guess, I thought then, he, yeah. at first I thought he had an accent and so had to put on an American accent, but I've seen him in interviews. No, he's, he's American. He's American. And he's like, that is he's one of the only Americans that voice, are, yeah. A lot I'm of black like, actors nowadays are not American. Um, something about the, something about his delivery is kind of like, okay, that's a choice. He's kind of doing that black nerd thing. He's like being a little nasally. I thought it was hilarious when he is outside the second time. He goes he goes back to get a bat after confronting the the doppelgangers, uh, the tethered in the in the driveway, and he says something along the lines of like, "The police, the police are on their way." And I was like, <laughs> that was such a funny little acting choice to be like. He realized halfway through his sentence that he's like, "I should." have a deep voice to be intimidating. So like, not to say that his performance was bad or weird. Um, that whole character, we could talk about that character. Cause that's like his whole thing is odd. Um, but yeah. Uh, yeah. So like there, there's a bunch of little details where it's like, you know, I think his movies are very well scored. How else, how else do you make a beach creepy other than using the music that they chose to use when they're on the beach? Um, I, I always think from the way he uses pop music, because I thought that uh, I got five on it was I don't know if that's a full title. Is it is it five on it or I got? five? I mean, yeah, like, you know, I got five on it. Sure. Um, the way he uses that. The he the way he pays more attention to the the bass and uses it ominously beyond the actual like content of the song is so well done. And, and the choice of music when they're in the white people's home. Um, on the Ophelia, which is their Alexa, um, was just well-crafted to me. Like, I, I really enjoy how he takes a scene that could be interpreted completely differently and used, uses music to, to that benefit. Um, I'm curious if Jason is, like, an internally a comment on, like, ADHD, a diagnosis of black kids. I don't know if that's a thing that's supposed to be here. I'm going to throw out a bunch of different like theories and shit. And that's kind of the point of us is that there are just so many things you could take away from it. Um, it seems like it's very much about trauma with the way that they set up Addie's like 
child therapist session and the way her family is and like is it generational trauma is she passing these anxieties onto her children specifically jason and the way that she like kind of babies him what's his whole situation with the mask is that like a is that like an you know a like comfort thing for him um so yeah there's just a there's just so much of these things that i'm like huh okay that could that could lead down a path and that could lead down a path of discussion. So I really, I, I made the wrong choice. You probably should just talk about your big problem with this because <laughs> I can't focus on anything. <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, oh, uh, recurring theme in both, not just both movies, but black culture in general. Uh, yeah. Cops don't help the black, black folk. Nope. Um, the cops being they're 14 minutes away and they're like, how? And, in the other movie, uh, oh, what happens in the other movie? Because um, it's not the, I don't think it's just the cop and the, oh, yeah, it's when Ray goes to the authorities and they just laugh right. at him. It's just right. like, there's clearly a, yeah, a through line of just like, hey, I know it's a thing in horror movies. They're like, I don't know why they don't just call the police. And then the movies very much go like, the police ain't gonna help. <laughs> There's always at least one time where the characters go, let's just call the police to like kind of very quickly just like get past that one quote unquote plot hole of a lot of horror movies and address the very cultural thing in in black culture of like, uh, I mean, yeah, it's it's a it's a very well known joke of like, you know, oh, I come fast like black uh, cops in white neighborhoods. And it's just like, yeah, mm. yeah, right, right. Uh, <laughs> uh, for me, the more that Red talked, the weaker it got. That's fair. I think that's actually very fair. I think he definitely felt like he had to do some wrapping up, but it was almost like too much. Like, like I, like I said, there's so many small details where like, this is so much more of a squiggly cluster of lines than Get Out was in that like, you see little things like you see the 1111 uh, scripture guy in the flashback and then you see him dead when they arrive at the town and then you see his doppelganger on the beach, but you don't know it's his. And then you see the doppelganger twice in the end that he was the first doppelganger to come above the surface. And it's like you actually have to like think about it afterwards to get a lot of that stuff. It is not necessarily like a linear reveal and having red give more of that away does take a little bit away from the mystery of it all. Oh, I literally just mean like that voice. Oh yeah. <laughs> talking for that long makes me not take the character as seriously. And I'm like, all right. It was a choice. It was <laughs> it definitely was a, choice. a choice. It was a choice. They actually could have justified in that exposition. If the doppelganger had just like cut her vocal cords or something like that. Like, when we established that it's like, oh, these kids were swapped, like, there could have been something that the that that the original Red could have done to the the child that she replaced to make her that way. And it would have been like, cool, justify the choice. But it definitely felt like more of like a, mm, Jordan and Lupita worked on this to try to be scary. And it would have. And that was another note where I was like, I wasn't necessarily scared most of the time. It was brutal and like the lighting choices and the angles were well put together where occasionally you would see 
like a wide shot and then a character would run run across the back or something like that. It's like, yeah, these are great like horror movie shots. He knows what he's doing, but I wasn't particularly scared. And then Elizabeth Moss got a doppelganger and I was like, cool, I'm scared now. <laughs> okay. Like, God damn. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I was like, like my note is uh, once the white people started getting their shadows, I'm officially tense. Um, because I was like, ah, shit. Okay, this is getting this is getting insane. Like, because I did not, I did not expect that twist. I did not expect the twist. I thought it was going to be truly about like these black people have this trauma, and it's going to be all about them and their doppelgangers and what's what is their mirror selves. And then it not ends up not being about that at all. Yeah, it may have been a stronger choice uh, from a movie standpoint. Maybe not a thematic standpoint, but from a movie standpoint it may have been a stronger choice to only have doppelgangers of uh Addie for a very specific reason and then because this is her family that's the only reason there are other doppelgangers and to just yeah. have that personal like family confronting you know and it could have been you know more of a thing of you know the certain aspects of the doppelgangers bring out more negative aspects in the real people and they have to kind of confront, you know, the worst parts of themselves and like it, it could have done a lot of things. But that's but that's not what he did. Yeah, I know. So it's like And so like yeah, that's what's that's what's so curious about this movie is that it's definitely playing with that expectation of what you think a doppelganger story is. Yeah. And I've read theories about like not many, but I've read like a handful of theories of like you know what it's supposed to mean and why and i'm like mm, i'm I, well i think okay. that's i think that's also intentional because a lot of this commentary i saw about it is like this could just be a regular horror movie this could just be to be scary and it's a little bit of sci-fi he has a whole backstory on the tethered and the way he talks about it it's like mm, i think you might have another movie up your sleeve if people wanted it about this world um and there's like a lot of questions like, is it just America that has tethered people because it was a quote unquote like experiment by somebody and there's tunnels all over the country? Um, like he has a whole mythos that we could dive into and create a series kind of like The Quiet Place um, or A Quiet Place uh, in that like they did a sequel to that. And so like, yeah, it could very well just be a horror movie with a f- interesting concept and a backstory or a lore. Or it could potentially have the flexibility to be about like trauma or like Americans collective ignoring of an underclass that doesn't really have free will. It could be, it could be so many things. And a lot of people praise it for that reason. I mean, that's what I had heard the whole thing about like an, a lower class, like rising up and yeah, t- tied to a string, but it's, and it's also like, he definitely plays up the whole like hands across America thing with the tethered becoming a chain. Um, and like the idea that like this is some a commentary on a movement from the 80s that was largely symbolic and that after they paid everybody to do the event uh, instead of the 34 million they donated, they donated 15 million. And so it was like this empty gesture where everyone just got to go, yeah, cool, we solved the problem and then go, go home to their lives. And so like it's definitely one of those things where it's like each each little piece you do have to like look into a little bit. And he's definitely doing that on purpose. Hmm. So. And then there's a bunch of other just little things like there's a bunch of little throwaway things where like 
the itsy bitsy spider is what they're whistling. I did. I, I the only reason I would have picked that up is subtitles because they don't do a good job of whistling it. Um, but like the itsy bitsy spider went up the water spout, down came the rain and washed the spider out. Um, and so it's like, yeah, they're stuck in this thing. They can't climb their way out. It gets, they get washed out each time. Scissors are symbolic because they're both creepy and they mirror each other with a single bolt. So you, everything that the one side does, the other side has to do the 1111 scripture. I forget what the actual book is, but there's something in it. It's like, yeah, yeah. Jeremiah, where it's like, uh, I will send them like an evil they cannot control, and so it's like, yeah, it's it's like he just like stacked little metaphors on top of one another. And they're not as obvious as Get Out. I do think the movie kind of shoots itself in the foot, establishing how quickly these fuckers can kill folk. As in the, the tethered kill folk pretty easily or like that white family just gets done and dusted in like less oh, yeah. than 10 seconds. Yeah. This is a thing that I tend to not like in media in general is a thing of like. Unless you're doing... Okay, here, here's the thing. Unless it's for a reason. Because, and as I often will do, as I am up to do, in Avatar The Last Airbender... <laughs> Dear God. I can't tell if you're going to start doing that as a joke or you really mean it. I mean, I mean it. it it's becoming a joke because, God. But, like... It's legitimately a thing of, like, everyone thinks Zuko can't fight in the first season because he constantly gets his ass kicked. Yeah. But, like, no. There are a lot of times where Zuko genuinely wins fights, though. He just can't beat Aang. And, like, you realize as the show goes on and given later events, that's like, well, he was kind of fighting wrong. Like, he had to kind of discover the actual way he excuse me, yeah. can fight, because as of now, he's kind of only really mirroring what other people are pushing on him. He's not fighting the way that he needs to fight. Um, but there is that kind of general dichotomy of, you know, anytime Zuko goes up against Aang in their squad, he looks like an, he looks like a complete noob. But then anytime he goes up against anybody else, he's like dusting fools left and right. And there's a reason for that, but... A lot of times you run into this conflict of like anytime said enemy goes up against the main character, oh, it's so difficult. It's so, they're struggling. Oh, they can't just kill him for some reason. And then they go up against literally anybody else and they're just like neck snap and it's just like done. That's a thing that I'm yeah, like, yeah, because ah. there's there's no there's no that is a good question and a good a good flaw to point. I was like, yeah, there's no in- indication that like. They just have to, like, replace them. There's no notion of, like, we have to put you underground and then you will be stuck and we will take your lives. Um, It's not a body swapper situation. It's truly just a, we're going to kill you. And it's going to have no effect on us. It's, like, not even truly going to untether us. Like, we could run away and be fine as long as we're in, like, the surface world or something like that. And so, like, yeah, there's not really a lot of... And there's also, like you're saying, like you said with Zuko, he needs to learn how he fights best. There's no learning curve for them of here's how we beat them. The closest we get to that is when Jason starts walking backwards and his doppelganger starts walking backwards. But that's the only time because in the final fight, which I love the final fight, um, that's not what she does. It's not like it's not like Addie suddenly figures out that they have to mirror each other and she can use that to her advantage. Like, that's not what happens. And so I'm like, mm, yeah, you're kind of right. They never like learn how to beat them. They kind of just 
get through it. Yep. Um, I'm just gonna like rattle off some things as expected. Lupita is acting her ass off. Um, her eyes are doing so much work. She, I, oh, she's so good, so slept on. Uh, fuck Zora, fuck off. Um, I want to drive. This is a life or death. I thought situation. I thought the kill count thing was funny. <laughs> I thought the kill count conversation where the family just accepts is like, well, no, I killed too. Like, I think that's funny. Like, I think pers- I think it ends up being thematically relevant that she's driving, sure. But, like, for me, that works if, like, they've gotten past it and they're driving. And then they kind of, like, Zora kind of goes, like, while they're escaping, like, to be fair, I have killed the most people. And then they go, right. well, actually, no, you ki- no, I killed that person. So I have the, no, 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 no. No, and the like- other one came back. <laughs> I think I really just don't like, I don't like jokes when there's, active tension like when there's when they're like running away or when there's like a little moment of reprieve then the jokes come that's when i actually am receptive but like if i'm like waiting for you to go to go to the next thing and then you want to start making jokes now then i'm like all right can you can you wrap it at i want to we gotta go we we gotta go here we could have it's sort of like if you're waiting for uh, the crosswalk to turn and somebody's sitting next, like standing next in front of you, not saying anything, and then the light turns and then they start trying to have a conversation with you while they're not going. And I'm like, okay, but you, you had all this. T- can you can you go first? And then we, th- we can have this conversation <laughs> while we're going. <laughs> um, I did like... The moment, um, I think it's when they were driving and got back to Santa, uh, the pier, um, Santa Cruz, yeah. And <laughs> they see, uh, I think J- uh, Jason's double, yeah. Uh, yeah. and literally, Winston Duke just like he just he just hands Lupita the weapon, he's just like, here, just just go. <laughs> that was nice, uh. And then I think he, like, tries to go in to, like, give her, like, a good luck kiss or something like that. And she's like, fuck yeah. off. Yeah. And I'm like, all right. Well, don't be a dick about I it, mean, though. I he's mean, been, he's, been he's been pretty shitty oh, he's the useless. entire time. Oh, he's useless. <laughs> he's, the fucking, he's the fucking worst, which I know was done on purpose. Like, fine. Fair game. But, like... <laughs> Like, especially the way that, like, he gets, like, one little thing to his foot and he limps the entire fucking movie. I mean... Meanwhile, she's getting, like, slashed up left and right. And her face cut up. I mean, sure. But, like, then again, I... In a life or death situation, I'm more forgiven... I'm more forgiving for, like... Some people kind of tend to react differently. Some people can soldier through certain things while... Some things that are, quote-unquote, lesser you know, we'll take out certain people. Um, and I think usually the roles are reversed. And I think it was an, a conscious choice to like take out the dad with this seemingly inconsequential thing, the way that I think other stories would take out the mom because yeah. well, the mom can't fight. So we might as well give her some superfluous injury or something to just give her an out. But they kind of flip it. So I'm like, I get it. But also, <laughs> yeah. 
Um, oh, I guess we're... Okay, one nerdy thing, and then I'll talk about meaningful shit. Uh, there's a, this split diopter! Hey! There's what? Cool! Uh, so that is when Red is... Sorry, when Addie is giving her a uh, big exposition, and they show Addie Addie's face. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Re- I, I was wondering what that was. That is a split diopter shot made famous by Jaws. Mm. Um, that has kind of like not a lot of people do that these days. Toy Story Four infamously actually does a split diopter shot that's so subtle, a lot of people don't catch it unless you're like kind of a film buff. And not to say, because I've missed it too. It was pointed out to me by a film buff. But like, it's one of those things of like, I can't believe Pixar, Pixar did a split diopter shot in an animated fucking movie. That's so, so specific. Um, (laughs) But when I saw that, I popped big time because I was like, hey, hey, I know. I know because it's meant to like create unease because typically the way the eye works and the way films typically work is that one thing is in focus, everything else is either on the same plane or out of focus. To have two things you know are different distances from the camera be in a similar focal length, like, it subtly puts you on edge because you know this is unnatural. And so using that here is just like, yep, yeah, yeah. That checks out. (laughs) That makes sense. Uh, so now... Pain in my asshole. What? <laughs> it's a TikTok thing. Oh, okay. Uh, so the fucking rabbits. Um, so here's the thing. I will say, I don't think this is necessarily a thematic thing beyond, like, down the rabbit hole or, like, Alice in Wonderland. I ch- like, I've seen commentary that's literally like, hey, you can say what you want about scissors and rabbits and shit. I picked it, and Jordan Peele's basically like, I picked it because it's creepy. Here's the thing. Uh, TJ really doesn't like rabbits. Oh, I'm sorry. So this was rough at some points. Oof. Yeah, the entire like sequence of the titles, the entire title sequence is just zooming out on these rabbits. I basically just stopped. I was I looked at my phone for the whole. I was like, yep, no, yeah, we're not doing this. Ah, <laughs> uh, no. <laughs> but and th- it's worse because they're supposed to be creepy. And I'm just like, great. Yeah. Awesome. So well, then, and also like, there's the thing where when you see the, I mean, like, I gotta, I gotta hand it to him, like the methodicalness of planning out in the flashback, taking very specific moments because, like, you see the people that Addie is seeing, like, you really see them. They're not just background; it lingers for a hot sec, and then to do the flashback over again, and then see the tether doing the same thing, and especially when they're just eating raw rabbit. Um, in like this distorted reality, I was like, mm, yeah, that was really, really well done and 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 creepy. Yes, I agree. So, the elephant in the room is that the twist is bad, and I hate it. The ending twist, yeah. I thought it was, I was begging from moment one. Yeah, I was just don't. Don't do the twist. Don't don't Shyamalan this thing. Yeah. Don't reverse the roles or something like that. Because there are indicators along the way that it's like, mm, maybe she's not. Maybe she's special in a way that we don't that we're not going to like. <sighs> it just I don't. 
not only do I not like it, but people are like, you got to watch it multiple times because I'm like, I never want to watch this movie again because it's ruined it for me. That twist has now ruined this movie for me in terms of a rewatch, which I wasn't going to do anyway, but like, it just doesn't make sense to me. It fundamentally does not work for me if the right. you're telling well, they, me these two are switched. They talk about like, oh, we couldn't replicate the soul, so it's two souls to one body. It's like, well, yeah, if she replaced her, then shouldn't everybody like, then shouldn't Addie grow up and be kind of more like a tethered and then vice versa? The other one is just traumatized. Like it does it, it, it does, it undoes a little bit of the movie. And, and the whole point that Jordan Peele says of why he did it was that he wants people to feel justified in thinking that they're following the villains. I never thought these were the villains. <laughs> and as in like the, the family and yeah. everyone in the surface world being quote unquote, the villains to these suffering people, which is um, the whole thing breaks down because again, going back to what somebody else has said that like, apparently the whole thing is about like a lower class rising up against their, like, what is assumed to be their oppressors. And it's just like, but that fundamentally doesn't work. Yeah. Because the people on the surface have no idea what's actually no, going on. You might want to rethink that statement. No, no, no. It's a, it's a <laughs> but... thing of like, because for this movie to work, for the, or sorry, not the movie, but like for that. Because if to... you think Jeff Bezos has any idea of what your life is like, you're wrong. No, no, no. Um... I'm... Because here's the thing. Like, People who hold people down may not do it on purpose or they may do it on purpose, but they're aware of it. Yeah. Like they're, they're aware of the existence of the other person. Right. If this is like the equivalent of if you were an oppressed party that was sub, like mistreated by this group that was copying another group and because of that, they mistreated you. And then you got upset, rose up, and instead of, like, fucking over the people that oppressed you, you fucked over the other group they were copying. Yeah, you're. that's fair. And I'm like, well, that, that's not the same. That's why, honestly, I was really hoping instead of the twist of, oh, they really did switch, which was very obvious, and I was begging the entire movie to not do that. If instead, right at the last moment... Addie, like actual, like Addie, Addie was like, I'm not going to kill you. I'm going to give you an an actual chance to have a life. Right, right. To like outstretch that hand and reach across that theoretical aisle and just be like, I'm not going to. In fact, if that was the thing for the whole movie, if the midpoint of the movie was them having a moment to either go, we either fuck them up or we give them a chance. And then they choose, like, let's not kill them. Let's actually try and, like, give them some sense of peace. But meanwhile, the other party is actively trying to kill them. That's a different type of story that you can still do in a horror sense. Because, I mean, yeah, one party's trying to fucking murder the other. But it's also a thing of, like... It's deeper than that. It's deeper than just, like, I have to kill you before you kill me. It's, I have to figure out how to fix you, for lack of a better term, before you kill me. Coming off a little bourgeoisie here today, TJ. I, 
don't know how I'm I don't kidding. know how that comes off bourgeoisie bourgeoisie. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I spell bourgeoisie. <laughs> Uh, B O U uh, B O U R G. Yeah, don't don't ask me to spell something because you know. Um, so you're asking the wrong person. That'd be like you looking at me going, "Tell me where Ghana is." I'd be like, "I can tell you exactly where Ghana is." Fuck off. Um, I would never ask you a geography question. <laughs> here's the thing about uh, here's the thing about this movie. I truly believe for all the like. You know, and I think people have fun with the speculation and also, you know, with valid criticisms of how it falls apart. I truly think that Jordan Peele had the idea for the un- for the tethered and probably was like, well, I just made a shit ton of money off Get Out and an Oscar. I'm gonna go make this movie. And then he did. Like, I, I think that that really is like the true origins of this movie. And it just so happens to be flexible enough to where you could make something out of it. That's like loose. And then he did. (laughs) Oh, God. So, yeah, that's really, I mean, like, you know, we could spend hours like hashing out individual things of this movie. But I think that that's kind of the the summation. It's like "Mm, the twist makes it fall apart. And like you can kind of make it be anything on a broader political scale. Honestly, I wasn't even thinking political when I gave that alternative. It was just more so like narrative Emo- like yeah. just more emotionally cathartic and relevant yeah um oh i did skip that note uh in my notes of uh i want i need one person to be emotionally intelligent please it's actually bothering me <laughs> yeah that's fair that's fair no one is oh closest person is probably jason yeah um which you know good shout if you're going to make anyone emotionally intelligent sure um, so, <laughs> uh, we already got back to my pin. The pin was the twist. Um, but there was another seed that I planted that has yet to grow. Uh, parasite. Okay. Similarities. Yeah. Somebody living underneath that you cover up. Yeah. I think personally, I forget which movie I had this thought about. It was either, it was either get out or us, but I was like, Honestly, I think Parasite spoiled me in a way for one of these movies. Again, I forget which one. But, like, it was sort of like... I Parasite kind of gave me what I more so would want from a story like this. Even though it wasn't, like, exactly what I wanted. Um, it still, like, was relevant enough to be, like... Once you see Parasite and then you see these, it is sort of a thing of, like... Mm, I got to be real. I kind of, mm, I kind of like what I think maybe it was get out. I think it was with get out of like the whole, um, yeah. Cause it's like at a certain point, parasite changes and it switches from being very suspenseful yeah. in terms of like, in terms of like relatively not that high of stakes. Yeah. The stakes get leaped to, to 11. Right. And it was like, but it feels like so sudden of a change and the movie keeps that energy for a lot of the rest of it. And then I feel like with Get Out, it was a bit more like you learn what's going on and then it's like, uh... you preheated the oven. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I 
think that's actually a good way of putting it of like get out feels like, you know, putting the noodles or the potatoes or whatever in the pot with the water and then letting it rise to a boil versus parasite. The thing's already boiling. Put the stuff in there and let's go. Right. Um, uh, also has two people uh, being very clearly killed by a blunt object who somehow aren't dead. Uh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, uh... <laughs> and yet, like, they have the one twin not die from falling, but they have Elizabeth Moss's doppelganger dying from the blunt hit from a child. I'm like, okay, those aren't even. Yeah, I... There are a lot of times in both of these movies where it's like, I think they're gonna do something interesting and then they kind of just don't. Where... I thought the coming back of that one twin was a sign that, no, you can't just brute force kill these things. You yeah. need to go to the source and do something different. Um, but then it's just so like, you need to no, deactivate kill- their, their central homing beacon or something. Right. It's like, no, you need to kill these things. <laughs> it's really just like, Hey, I hit them really, really hard. You, that's how you beat these things. You just have to hit them really, really hard. Um, but yeah, I went into this with actually fairly high expectations, just because it's excuse me, because it's Jordan Peele, and everyone loves the movies. And I was hoping that these were going to be the movies that were like the gateway for me to like. You know, even if horror will never truly be my thing, it would be like the thing of like, well, I at least liked these two. And the vibe just afterwards is just kind of more disappointment than anything. That's strange because that's not what I'm picking up from your tone. Oh, you think I, think I, if, you I think hate if, them? No, no, I think you like them. Oh. I think you like them more than you're giving credit. Oh, no, I very much don't like them. Eh, I think let them them grow on you. I think you're going to listen to this episode again down the line and go, okay, I actually did kind of, I guess I did kind of like them. Uh, Hey, uh, post-processing editing uh, TJ here. Uh, Spoiler alert. I do not. Yeah, okay, uh, bye. (laughs) I wish these movies were more things. Um, I mean, you always wish everything was more things. Well, yeah, I have high standards for shit. Like, I grew up with Avatar The Last Airbender, the perfect Shut show. up about Avatar The Last Airbender! <laughs> <laughs> it's a perfect show! <laughs> oh, God. That'd be like, no, no, no. That'd be like a rich kid being like, well, I'm sorry, I grew up with, like, premium premium Cheerios. You guys can't even get them where you shop. And so like, it's just like not good enough for me. I'm like, fuck off. I mean, but you can get Avatar. Shut up. (laughs) Oh, as predicted, this episode was very interesting for not great reasons. I think it's a great episode. I think it's a great episode. I think you liked them more than you say they did. I really don't. I was I think you're going to I think you're going to go to a hotel room with Jordan Peele movies and find that there's only one bed for both of you to sleep in and something's going to happen. Worrying. Okay. So uh my fanfic. <laughs> All right. Uh get your 90s rom-com TV show bullshit out of here. Uh, <laughs> what? Uh 
what did you guys think of most likely only my controversial opinions because <sighs> your opinions aren't that controversial you have good points you didn't hate it i know i i uh, sometimes it gets a little tiring being the simon cowell sometimes i just want to you can change that well, okay you know what to be fair i got a reprieve want. on that with lara croft i think lara croft was my big moment of like, hey, for once, I'm the one that likes big dumb bullshit. Yeah, hey, that's fair. <laughs> uh, Lara Croft could have shot a di- sh- could have done gu- dual gun battles with a dinosaur. And I've been like, checks out. <laughs> um, but yes, if you have opinions on our opinions, you can let us know at Red Team Pod on either Instagram or Twitter. I'm so sorry, our Twitter is dead. Uh, <laughs> uh, check us out. I mean, who has the energy? Who has, who has the, the energy? Uh, <laughs> uh, check out. Uh, next week is our reject or renew for Batman the animated series, which I swear to God I'm almost done. Please don't hate me. Uh, and yeah, you can go on our website redteampod.com to check out uh, the voting for. November's Reject or Renew episode and vote on what you want us to potentially talk about there. And and it's and it's cumulative now. Your votes don't get thrown out at the end of the... They get, they get tossed at the end of the season, but if you vote for something two weeks in a row, your vote is stronger. Yee. And uh, we will be doing November going forward like slightly different. Not terribly different, but like slightly different. So stay tuned for that. Um, and yeah. Dun-dun-dun. <laughs> I've been TJ from uh, wow I almost said TJ from Tamagazi I'm TJ Patrick <laughs> and I would have voted for Obama a third time I'm sure you would have actually <laughs> <laughs> would would not most of us it depends on who's mm. actually no <laughs> yeah that whole deporter in chief thing is really coming in coming in strong right now Actually, ugh, I don't know if if you give me Barack versus Bernie, I don't know where I'm going. Actually, oh yeah, I'm going with Bernie. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> it's been the most politically we've been in, in like a year. <laughs> oh, bye. <laughs> we got five on it. So stay woke. Oh, God. Um, And I'm assuming, yeah, I'm assuming at this point you've said everything you are going to say about these two movies. Uh Uh-huh. So one last thing before we leave. Chris Pratt should not be fucking Mario, and I've waited so long to talk (laughs) about it. Oh, my God. You you thought we weren't going to have enough in this episode, and we absolutely do, and you're still going to talk about this. I'm still, I'm pissed. I'm going to let you fume for a sec while I go pee. I'm going to, I'm fucking livid. I'm livid. How could you do this? I'm peeking in my mic and I don't care. Because how dare you? I'm so pissed. You literally had so many options and you still nailed the one in a million shot of the worst thing. Like, you could have done so many other things. A lot of people are like, just get the original voice of Mario. I'm like, no. I actually kind of don't want because i've never heard like 
full paragraph monologues from that voice actor as Mario. I don't think I want to. So, but it's like, there's, oh, there's so many of, even like, even other not great options are still better than Chris Pratt. Like, even sticking with the thought process of getting a Hollywood leading man. I mean, fuck. You got Bradley Cooper, who's already doing Rocket. You got fucking... I mean, you, I I wouldn't even care if you cast, like... I don't know, Brad Pitt or some shit. I don't really care. Because, like, even he is a better choice than Chris Pratt. Even, like, you could have picked Matt Damon, who has pretty decent dialect work in his in his repertoire. Like... I would have taken Will Hunting over fucking Star-Lord. How dare you? I don't want Emmett in my fucking Mario movie. And let's- Well, see, I, I really hope they pull, like, Brad Pitt in Deadpool 2, where he's the invisible guy, where literally they say Chris Pratt's going to play him, and then they do mute Mario. Ugh. They're not going to, but that'd be funny. I know. <laughs> I, was like, I'm like, I know they're not going to, though. <laughs> uh, you don't pay all that money. But, um, and it's like, let's not also gloss over the other weird parts of this casting, too. Like, yeah, Chris Pratt as Mario is the worst thing to ever happen to media any time ever. But let's not ignore Seth Rogen as Donkey Kong, which, no. Would yeah, you know? that's a little too, uh, little too, little too, uh, relaxed for what it should be. Keegan-Michael Key is right there. He would be a really Yeah, that's good true. Donkey he would have been a much better Donkey Kong. And I'm wondering if they're going with the ironic, like, all the other Toads are going to sound like, ah, bah, 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 and then Keegan-Michael Key's Toad is going to be like, hey! Which you could have just done with Seth Rogen, too, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> you could have had all the Toads be like, ah, bah, 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 and then like, hey, what's up? Like Seth Rogen. Like you could have done the same joke. But also, everyone's just okay with Jack Black, Jack Black Bowser. And I gotta ask why. I don't know. Why have you done this? They're gonna sh- it's gonna show up and be like, I'm here to take Peach and you can't stop me now. Oh my god, Kevin Michael Richardson is in the cast. I'm really surprised that SNL hasn't already uh <laughs> like done done this bit where they did like where they do impressions of all these celebrities doing Super Mario. God. That is definitely right up their alley. Um and so yeah. Upset. So it's Also, what yeah, made them I'm cast sorry, Anya Taylor-Joy as the voice? Of Peach. Yeah, I know, right? It's like, like where you, you're going too much off their physical looks here. Because her voice is she... it's just like it's like Amanda Seafried. Like it's like it's just a neutral white woman voice. It's like I mean, I'm not against it, but also what made you pick her? <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, because like them... there's not much to there's not much to Peach either. It's it's very much like the Mario. Like that, like overly breathy. But like, I mean, a movie version feminine. has the potential for you know them to do something with Peach's character in some way, shape, or form. Just please don't do the '90s, early 2000s thing we've already touched on with Lara Croft. 
of just making her an anti-woman character. Or even um, with uh, live-action Scooby-Doo with Daphne. Where it's like, we're make her, we'll make her a badass. It's like, you don't need to make Peach a badass. Also, Peach them casting Charlie Day as Luigi pretty much signals that Luigi's going to have one joke and one joke only. And that is that he's scared. And that is how they, to be fair, that's how they've been doing Luigi for a couple years now. But still, I'm like, this is a rare time. Document it. Take note. This is the one time I will go out of my way to compliment Super Mario Bros. the movie. To be fair, the Mario and Luigi in that version of the movie is actually decent. They're decent characterizations of Mario and Luigi. Purely for the fact that, like, yeah, Mario seems like a pretty chill dude, and Luigi's kind of dumb but has a heart of gold. I don't know why you have to do more than that, really. But then Luigi's Mansion came along, and all of a sudden, Luigi's always a scaredy cat for everything all the time. And it's just... All right. Okay. Perfect. (laughs) Uh, You know who I actually thought was a good left-field, out-of-nowhere shout for Mario? It was Brian Cranston, of all people. (laughs) Oh, you know know who actually would have been a good uh, Mario? Taika Waititi. But he's, but he's New Zealand. He can do another accent. Can he? Probably. That's an actual question because I don't know. <laughs> I think I think they play up the humor of the New Zealander accent in his roles, but because he even did it when no, I mean like I mean he does. I mean I guess you could say he does an a English German in uh, Jojo Rabbit. Oh, which I still haven't seen. Damn it. All right. God damn it. Fuck. Holy shit. 